Hi, welcome to the Biffa Podcast, the show from the British Independent Film Awards that brings together two artists from the filmmaking community for a conversation about how film has shaped their lives. In this episode, director Jonas Poir Rasmussen spoke to actor and producer Nikolai Costa-Waldo about the film Flea, which Jonas directed, and along with actor Riz Ahmed, Nikolai served as an executive producer on. At the Biffers, Flea, made in Denmark, won the prize for Best International Independent Film. Flea tells the story of a man named Amin as he grapples with a painful secret he's kept hidden for 20 years, one that threatens to derail the life he has built for himself and his soon-to-be husband. It's recounted mostly through animation to the director and close friend Jonas, and he tells the story for the first time about his extraordinary journey as a child refugee from Afghanistan to Denmark. Having made a name for himself through documentary radio and live-action storytelling, Flea marks an ambitious and fruitful creative leap for Jonas, working in animation for the first time. Nikolai Costawaldo, who listeners will remember as Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones, serves as an executive producer in the film, and in this podcast they get into just what makes Flea so special, as well as their own journeys through film, including why keeping secrets is so important for acting, and why one of Jonas's best reviews came from two strangers sharing a beer. Hey. Hey. <laughs> How do I get to see you now? Oh, God, this is... There we go. There you are. Hey. So why don't I start asking you a question? Do you remember the first time you saw a, a movie on a, on a big screen? Yes, I do, because it was a terrifying experience. <laughs> I watched this the Danish kids film called Hodja for Short. Oh, yeah. Which isn't that terrifying when I see see it now, but I remember lying Good. under under the <laughs> I remember like lying underneath the seat for most of the film, and it's about this guy who has a flying rock. Yes. Yeah, and then he's captured by the sultan, the evil sultan, who only eats the hearts of doves, and he wants this flying rock as well. So it is a little terrifying actually. And I was a small kid, and I remember being in the cinema, and I was just. Terrified. And then, then in the in the end, this very happy song, Hodja for Pjord song comes out. Hodja for Pjord, Hodja for Pjord, and Flua Linga, Linga. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I remember and then the I, was, I, I was so relieved, like going out of cinema. I was like, <laughs> I'm never going to do this again. Yeah. It's funny when I think about music as a kid, whenever there was any, it was always this, the music that would terrify me. Yeah. You know, any kind of film that was on, it was mostly TV. You just heard that. And I would be under the covers. I was like, "What's going on? What's happening? What's happening?" <laughs> yeah, running everyone around me crazy. Yeah, but it can also, it can also do the opposite. To me, in that film, it was, it was really a relief when that song came on because they were like, oh, "Okay, yeah. everything is all right. He's gonna fly away. Everything is good. Everything's good in the world." Yeah. What, what was yours? Do you have a remember memory as well? There'll be two, I guess, because I, I, when I was a kid, like if I was five, four, and five. My dad, my parents were still living together at that time. And my dad, he was a clerk. But at that time, he had like a Sunday job where he would go around to schools on a Sunday morning and he would show cartoons, like a 16 millimeters. And I'm sure you had those at school here, like uh, Professor Balthasar and, uh, and, and the Mulwarpen, you know, those things. And at my job, I was there, I was helping him put out, it was like a little thing, he had the speaker on it, and I had to go to the end of the room, put the speaker up. And then at the end, if I was lucky, I was allowed to press the rewind button. So all the kids would watch the cartoons in reverse, which was by far the most fun <laughs> of the day. 
But I remember that. And then my, the first film I remember seeing in the cinema, I grew up in the countryside. And um, I mean, that's the one I remember. There might have been one before. I remember getting so scared by Poltergeist. And then I also remember Xanadu. I don't know if, which one came first. Those are the two things I really remember. Those, the Poltergeist, and he was, at one point he falls into the pool and there's, it turns out this house had been built on top of an old burial ground and all these coffins open up with, and I don't know why my friends dad thought it was a great thing to take us to that, but it just traumatized me. And the other one was Sanadu and I fell in love with Oliver and Newton John. I remember that. So we had a workshop at school where I made a sign for my door where I wrote Sanadu. I didn't know how to spell it. So I spelled it S-A-N-D-E-R-D-U-E, Sanadu. But yeah, but mostly, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me as a kid, it was mostly like on the Sunday afternoons, my dad liked, there was usually a movie on in the afternoon. And there was like, my dad called them Ramashang movies. For him, the best would be a Western and I, God, I sound so old when I say that, but that, that would be like the high point. If there was an American Western from his youth, right? Yeah. That would be the best. Yeah. And I loved those films. Yeah. When I was like six or seven, I was in Niger in Africa for two months because my stepdad worked down there. And we had one VHS tape with us with two films on it. And one was Once Upon a Time in the West. So I've seen that one, I think, 30 times during two months down there. And it really, really sticks with me. Actually, there's the poster of Once Upon a Time in the West in, in Flea on my wall in my flat. Oh, nice. Yeah. So even though you're a little older than me, I, I, I also watched Western, so you shouldn't feel old. I don't know, I don't know. But, but it's, it's, it's funny because you said Sergio Leone, Once Upon a Time in the West. I think the one movie for me that really, where I remember being conscious about wanting to make movies was when I saw Once Upon a Time in America, uh, which was 80-something. I can't remember the, the year. But I was, I saw that years, a couple of years later, I think on, on a VHS or something. So I was probably 15 or 14, 15. I was identified a hundred percent with Noodles, which was uh, the main character played by De Niro. And there's, there's a young Noodles and there's, it's this old epic, right? Yeah. But I do remember just being very conscious about how insane it was that I was living in a village of 40 people in Denmark, a farming country so far removed from the lower east side of, 20s New York and then I was still I was just I felt it was I was living his experience yeah I just loved that movie so much but that's just a, like the grand cinematic experience is that you know when you just sit there and feel like you live through it for a couple of hours yeah but it's interesting because because it just shows how especially today there's so much focus on division and about of how people are it's them and us in all aspects of life but then you watch movies and you see what people like to watch on streaming and in the cinema and, and you know yes it's the big entertainment but it's also always if you can identify with the character and it doesn't matter if it's a movie or show from south korea from england from the u.s if as long as there's a human call you go okay here i'm in yeah because clearly we are so much more like that we would believe if we listen to all the the noise Exactly. When did you decide you wanted to make movies? Was that always something or was that later in, in your life? No, but it, it actually didn't feel like a decision at any point. It, it, it kind of happened. I started out doing radio and I actually thought for a long time that I would do work with sound and radio. I also grew up in a small rural Danish town. And in my school, I built this radio when I went like to seventh grade. I went out and did interviews with the local baker and the janitor on the school and stuff like that. <laughs> do you still have it? No, 
No, no, no. It, I think it was just there for for a year or something. Also, because I had to wake up really early in the morning to go there. Because the only time I could do the radio was before yeah. class started. I did it for a year or so. But I, I really thought that I would work in radio, and I also did for for a while. And then, actually, when I was at my grandfather's place when he when he passed away, he was a quite well known poet here in Denmark. We were looking for for his will. The whole family was gathered in, in his house, and we were kind of looking around for for the will. And we couldn't find it. But I found these VHS tapes, old films he'd done back in the 50s and 60s. And I, oh, put, nice. I put them in his, what's it, what's it called? His video, yeah, video recorder. Yeah, <laughs> machine. Machine. That thing. Yeah. That thing. And sat down and watched it. I was just struck by how there was a side to him that I didn't know anything about. I didn't know, first of all, that he did films himself. And in his films, it, there was such a melancholy and beautiful images. And I, I was really intrigued by it. And then I thought, maybe I should make a documentary about him. Uh, and so mm -hmm. that, that was my first film. And then, you know, that one film led to another one and then to film school and then to another film. And then, yeah. So you went, you did a movie or a couple of movies and then you went to film school. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did a documentary about him. And then I worked uh, at, at the public radio here for a while. And then I went to Super 16, which is a film school here in, in Copenhagen. Yeah. And then, you know, afterwards I, I did documentaries. Just because I've spoken to you on another occasion, not long ago, and you said when you did your movie Flea that you'd never done any kind of animation before. I just find it fascinating because you clearly don't have fear of trying something new. No, I, 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 really, I really, I think that's a, that's a great energy, you know, in experiencing something new and trying things out. And always, I think, for my different stories, I always look for the right form to, to tell it. And I don't like to kind of just copy what I did last time. It needs to be an experience to make the film as well, as well as, as seeing it. Well, how old were you when you did your first documentary? I was like my early 20s, like 23, 22, 23. And you've only, it's always been documentaries. And, and I guess doing the radio, that was also documentary style, or was it interviews and... Yeah, it was it was it was documentary style. It was small stories from around the world and here as well. Were there any filmmakers that you looked when you started out, or maybe before, that you kind of felt, wow, that's this is, I mean, obviously there are great filmmakers around, but anyone particularly that you were like, okay, this is, this is great. I think there's been different along the way. I've always watched films. I, I've always watched a lot of films, and I think the first one that really kind of blew my mind, other when I passed my childhood. Traumas from Hodja for Pjord. Then it was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> There's that. I will never leave you. Yeah, I remember watching Pulp Fiction in the cinemas with my mother. We had disagreement that because we lived in the countryside, once in a while we would go to the city and we would see three films in one day. Oh, nice. Yeah, and one of them, we, I remember watching Pulp Fiction. Just kind of, you know, one of those experiences would just sit back afterwards and like, okay, this was. This was something that hit me in a way that I hadn't experienced before. When you're a teenager, you're so out there. You're really, how do you say, formable. You really take things in. So I had a lot, I had a lot of experience those, those years. Also, I remember the, the Fincher movie, Seven. Oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, and also... That's a scary movie. That's a scary movie as well, yeah. And and 12 Monkeys from that same, same period as well. Terry Gilliam. Oh, Terry Gilliam, yeah. So I think that period of time for me was a period where I really formed my taste in film. What about you? How did you get into acting? For some reason, I always, I think it was an escape early on. I just wanted to be something else or somewhere else. I was always pretending to be someone else or I had my own world that I created. And usually it always ended up with me winning world championship of something. 
and then being chased by girls. That was usually it. <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted to be an actor and I knew that. I wanted to make movies and, and it was always, and I always had a dream of traveling. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to get out. Maybe it's like that thing growing up in such a small place. I was, that was a real, that was a real dream to get out. And then once I started watching movies and, and, and like thinking about film acting, it was very much when I was young, I was looking, of course, you always end up looking back there was some there was some Danish actors that I really loved um there was a guy called Jens Hocking uh, who's who was this uh, just incredible uh actor I worked with him and I had my I did made my debut in on the theater with him in Hamlet he I was Laertes he was Claudius but he kind of took me under his wing and I learned so much from him because he was a self-made actor and he, he did have a chip on his shoulder about formal training and stuff he just had that thing in front of a camera that he always told me, you, you got to keep a secret, which is true. You, you should not tell everything because every actor always wants to show everything. That That's a, that's kind of a curse of the trade sometimes. I think it takes a long time to get rid of. But then I started looking, I've been watching, for me, the, the best are the, the usual suspects. Like, you, I don't think you can, like the Marlon Brando in, in Last Tango in Paris, I don't think it gets any better than that at all. The, the, all those movies from the 70s, you know, Mean Streets, I had that on my wall. There's just the energy and then the attention to story, to character. I think there was a time when maybe that got lost a little bit, the character-driven stories. And now they've had this massive, re, not rebirth, but it's very, very much through, uh, because of streaming and because of the series that we have, that way you feel that that world has come back in storytelling. But yeah, no, I was a massive De Niro and... Uh, you know that thing you say, sometimes you shouldn't meet your heroes? Yeah. I, I met De Niro. <laughs> it was like the funniest thing. He was doing a movie called The Good Shepherd. And I did get a self-tape and I sent it in. And, and it was a spy story. It's about the birth of the CIA, mm -hmm. I believe. And the main character at that point was played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And then there was a... I've got a call, like, De Niro loves your tape. He wants to, to meet you in, in London. I don't usually get nervous about meeting people because, like, he was the guy I would be there yeah. when the movie opened. I would watch that film. Up until Frankenstein, then he broke my heart. But, but that's a different story. And I go and I was told, okay, you'll meet him Friday. If he likes you Friday, you'll come back and read for him Saturday. So it was like this weird thing. So I meet him Friday and he just goes, hey, go away. <laughs> you want to come back tomorrow and, and read with Leo? And I was like, yeah, I think I can find the time. <laughs> I bet you can. I bet you can. And he didn't kind of look me in the eyes. He's like, he was like, he was so uncomfortable about it, which was uncomfortable. So the next day I get in there and I meet him. And this, <laughs> he's a very quiet man. He was very quiet. So he was like, yeah, so what I want you to do is uh, I just want you to read this, this scene with Leo. And DiCaprio was standing in the window just smoking. Of course, he starts reading loud and clear. And he's just great because he's just reading the script. And But I'm trying to be like you know that whole less is more acting and being very i was being very self-conscious it was horrible so i was slow but then De Niro started giving me notes and he's like okay so what i want you to do is like and he went so low and i went even lower and in the end we we're like whispering to each other like, okay and then he says why are we whispering and i go i don't know okay you're doing great, son. And then, but he didn't tell me not to whisper. It was terrible. And then I had to wait five months um, to get, be told that they chose a Russian to play the Russian. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it makes sense. And it, it's just, so, such a good advice, this thing about, you know, keeping secrets, I think. It also goes... Uh, no, of course. Yeah. 
but also it's funny with like I know what we're talking about movies are all but 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 with Flea, the whole thing is about secrets. Mm. That movie, yeah. And of course, it's just fascinating because you're you're digging through and all the great movies. It's about that. So, what about fiction? You never thought of fiction. Is that something that is a? I did do fiction while in school. In Super Sixteen, you do a film every year, three years, and I did fiction there. So definitely, you know, I'm I'm not kind of just heading in, in one direction. I, I really, to me, it's really about, about finding a story that I get attracted to. And it can be a documentary story. It can also be fiction. To me, it's really the story that's important. Yeah. The form is is secondary. Maybe it might sound wrong, but you know, I think I think it really the story dictates the form. And then if it's better as a fiction, then you should, you should go with fiction. But I'm, I'm definitely up for doing fiction as well. One of the things that, I mean, maybe I'm just asking this question because it seems like that's the question on everybody's minds these days when it comes to film and what we do. The whole streaming versus cinema. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm so much older than you, but I feel like I've heard this thing a couple of times in my lifetime that, oh my God, this is the end of cinema as we know it. Going to the, the cinema is going to die. It happened with VHS, DVD, and, and now, of course, it's streaming. Yeah. Is that, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I don't think streamers is going to kill off cinemas at all. I think there's just, there's still something about this common experience of watching films with other people that I think is truly unique and is something that we really want. I think COVID is probably a, a worse opponent to cinemas. I think that's a bigger enemy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 I, th- I, th- I think. But the irony, of course, is Netflix kind of provided jobs for a lot of creators over, over this pandemic. Yeah. Which is, you know, anyway. Yeah. Definitely, I think streamers and cinemas can live mutually together. Of course, they right now they're figuring out how to do it, but I think that'll settle down at some point, and then I'm sure cinemas will live on. I think I think there's something to me at least. It's so special to be in a cinema and really be engulfed in the film and just taking the decision. Of, okay, now I'm offline. I'm just looking in this direction. I'm really in the film and doing it with other people, and then afterwards you talk and you can discuss. And I th- it's it's just really. To me, it's it's such an, a wonderful experience when when you see good films to see it yeah. in cinema. The vast experiences I had, you know, Parasite and The Joker and, and these kind of films, where you just kind of sit back afterwards and you're like, yeah, wow, it really feels that you grow, you know, when you have those kind of experiences. Yeah, yeah, but also that you can feel everyone around you had this. We've been through this something together. You know, like you know that thing when you leave the cinema, you're gonna go. There is just this, and then you spread out. Yeah, exactly. I, I actually, I had a, I had a, a wonderful experience. I got stopped by a guy on the street here in Copenhagen who just wanted to say that he'd seen my film in the cinema. And he said there were just four of them in the cinema and they didn't really know each other. But then they kind of, the film was done and 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 they asked to grab a beer and just talk about the film. So these people oh, really? who, who didn't know each other kind of went to a bar and had a beer to talk about the film afterwards which was like one of the most kind of, yeah, one of the best reviews I've gotten. Yeah, yeah, no, that is incredible. Yeah. My wife's from Greenland. Mm-hmm. So there's a film festival in Nuke. I love film festivals because it's there's just something about, obviously, we, this is what we do. So, you know, you gather a group of people that are passionate about the same thing. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And of course, there's, a, there's no real film industry because it's, it has never been funded. Very difficult to raise money for Inuit language films. And But then they had a screening of all these, these movies that have been made around the... Uh, you know, indigenous world. But then they also showed, I don't know if you heard of it, there's a, there's a television show called Reservation, Reservation Dogs, I think. Oh, yeah. It was all made by and for and with indigenous people. 
and it was just fantastic to feel that kind of representation, like how that that translated into people watching it, yeah. and then and something that we never think about because we always watch stuff where we are on screen, yeah, or someone like us have made it, and it was just interesting because you've heard the discussions before about representation, but it was the first time I actually had, and that's you know you know embarrassed to say, but it was just felt not embarrassed to say, but it felt very very specific and something that I could that I suddenly it just occurred to me that this is it's a massive thing it is and that again sitting with a group of people having that experience like this is wow this actually that, that you know this little television show has a real impact for me the different I don't really think too much about the difference between television and film it used to be maybe bigger when we when I started out but then at the same time I remember the first Directed where I was very aware that this is something truly unique. I don't know if you ever saw Kislovsky's Decalogue, the, the 10 movies he did. No. Well, he's it, just incredible. Polish director. They did the red, white, and blue. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny because he there's this, which I really recommend. You can find it on YouTube. There's a documentary made on him called I'm So and So. And he talks about the reason it's called I'm So and So is because he has you know, all this success, and then he has to go to America all the time. And he said, I just, he found it really difficult because uh, people are always great. And, the, and you ask them how they are, they're always great. And, and he says, at best, I'm, I'm so-and-so. It's like, <laughs> I just thought it was, it was such a European, yeah. different way of looking at life. But the reason I think of him now is that he was just talking, in that documentary, he mentions growing up and becoming a filmmaker in Poland during the Soviet rule, and how also Polish didn't have representation, and how that was, how identity building that is to actually have that yeah, anyway it's a recommendation check it out yeah totally and i think with flea of course it's just also very amazing to see how people relate to it you know that 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 yeah both in the in in the queer world in the lbgtq and the refugee that that people feel seen it's, it's just so important to have that but also the beauty of course is that if you are in those situations you have you feel that it's difficult to come out but i think everyone can relate to yeah the feeling of not having moments in your life where you suddenly you just i can't be myself i can't talk freely because it's too dangerous yeah for various reasons yeah of course his the stakes for him are so much much higher yeah yeah an incredible movie yeah but how, how how do you feel you've been in the in the business now for i just looked up netherbacken the night watch it's 20 years ago now. It's crazy. Oh, no, it's more. It's 94. It's 26 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Am I yeah. wrong? 22. And 28. Six, yeah. 28 years. Jesus Christ. 28 years. <laughs> it's almost almost 30 years ago. <laughs> that, that was your big break, right? Yeah, that was my first job out of drama school. Yeah. It's interesting when things happen the way you imagine they would, and then later on you realize that never happens. I mean, I you know when you come out when you're young and you get a movie as an actor, hmm. it's a lead. You imagine, oh, obviously this is going to be a massive hit, and then of course this movie became a massive hit. So when I was like, oh, that, I guess that's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works. But yeah. it was a crazy experience. Yeah, uh, to, and it was wonderful. And um, I know the director's been talking about doing a sequel for well almost thirty years now. Yeah, and uh, I think it's maybe it's tricky now. This it's going to be a different story. I don't know. It's funny this thing with how old are you? Forty. You haven't reached that point yet where you suddenly realize that time is flying. But it it it, it 
it, it happens. He said, well, so you, you hit mid-40s and then suddenly you, you, because up until that point, you always identify as, I, I, I still catch myself thinking of, of being the new guy on the block, the, the young one. And then, but now I go on a film set and suddenly I noticed you afforded a bit of respect purely based on the graying of your, your beard. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'll take it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but also like, I wouldn't think it was 30 years ago. Also looking at you, like, like, what do you do? Like, how, how do you not age? I don't know. I, I think we look the age we do. We, we yeah. are. And then, and it's all over a couple of years, right? So what, what are your favorite movies? What, what, what attracts you to a movie? Because you mentioned Pulp Fiction, which is, of course, interesting which, when you, because you just did Flea, which everyone talks about is groundbreaking in a way that you use animation in a documentary. But, but Pulp Fiction, and then when he came onto the scene, it was also very much like, where you went, oh, hang on a sec. You can actually have characters talk for three pages and it's still entertaining because the dialogue is so crisp. Yeah. What are the, your favorite movies just for the last few years? Or is it a, it's a, I bet there's a complete mix. Yeah. <laughs> I think what attracts me in, in a film is the complexity. I really like, we talked about Secret Secrets before, you know, and both yeah. you feel that there's something in the characters but also in the story that, you know, something is going to happen and you don't get on all the answers right away, but you get, you have a feeling that something is wrong or something is going to happen. Yeah. And there's these secrets within the film that is going to evolve throughout the film. It's really, I, I really like when they're told, you know, subtle and with richness. So, so, so the scenes doesn't feel like we need to go from A to B, but there's a richness. For example, in Parasite, when you watch the film, every scene is so beautifully composed, both with the dialogue, with the acting, but also how it's shot and what happens in the backgrounds. And like, there's such a richness to the storytelling that I, I really enjoy. So complexity and, 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 and richness is really key. I know, I, I, I agree. And I, I think it's interesting with Parasite because in certain ways also with what was the biggest television show last year, Squid Game, which also happens to be in South Korea, is that, Because Parasite, I thought, was so entertaining and it was so funny. And it was, like I said, like the visuals blew you away, blew me away. And then at the same time, you can tell that whoever made this has a reason for this. It's not just a story. It's actually, he has a point of view. And whether it's political or not, well, it's definitely is saying something about the world today, which I guess every movie does. But I just found it, it's such an achievement because that balance is so difficult. There's nothing worse than watching something where you feel like you're being preached to. This is a very important movie. You have to watch this because it tells a story about inequality in this world. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think I'm going to watch this because it's <laughs> yeah. going to be really important. But you watch something like Parasite and you go, this is an incredible movie. And oh, yeah, it, pre <laughs> it tells a story about inequality in a fantastic way. Yeah. And the same with, in a way, with Squid Game, where you go, actually, it's a strong argument why we should maybe have a more equal world, <laughs> because this is like, it's not good that people are willing to die for a bit of money. Let's face it, the thing about streaming, which is interesting, is that suddenly there's access to films that you just wouldn't find otherwise. Like in Danish cinemas, there would be, when I was younger, just 10 years ago, there would be maybe a two, three cinemas in the whole country where you could find smaller independent movies yeah and they would run for maybe at lucky for five days yeah and then they'll be off and now you can find 
all these incredible movies from all over the world. Yeah. And yes, you're not going to get the the experience of sitting around a group of, of people, which is great, but you will see amazing storytelling. I just saw a couple of films this week that I wouldn't have found otherwise. Uh, one was called Mass. Have you heard of that? Yeah. I just really enjoyed that. If you pitched it to me, I probably wouldn't have clicked on it. But then someone said, let's just watch it. And I didn't know anything about it. So I'm not going to pitch now. Just say whoever listens, you should check it out because it, it's again, it's not. A, it's, we talk about small films and big films, and it, it sometimes it confuses me because what what does that actually mean? Is it just about the budget? Is it about is it a big movie style? Like oh, it's a small independent movie. Uh, well, actually, it has a massive impact on me compared to this so-called big movie, which you know left me completely numb. So it's it's just a funny thing how we frame these words and use these words. Yeah, but and, and it's so great that people get access to these films, even though if, if they don't live in, in big cities. Also, just when COVID hit first time, CPH Ducks was was running, and they had to close the whole thing down like overnight. And my dad lives in this tiny island here in Denmark. So normally he he uh, he does like they address the cinema, but they like it's it's that's not a lot of films, and he never see anything on CPH Ducks. But all of a sudden, you know, he had access to all the films online Ducks. He saw 15 films in two weeks. It's so great that people get access to these films that normally wouldn't. I know that happened with Sundance last year as well, where they did it. And I was like going, well, why don't they all do it every year, even when they have a live festival? Why not also make that week open to world people from all over the world? Because yeah. let's face it, a lot of movies that come to festivals will probably might not get much further than that. It is, it, yeah, it's really cool. Did you have, when you grew up, was there a small cinema there where you lived? Yeah, you have to drive a little bit, but yeah. And did you go there? Was that where you went or was did you go to the big city? You went to the bigger one. When I went with my mother, it was, it was, it was for Copenhagen. We went to Copenhagen. Oh, you went to Copenhagen? Yeah. Oh, very impressive. <laughs> where I grew up, there was this whole, again, a group of, of locals that wanted to have a bit of culture in town. And this was in the 80s. So there was a cinema that had been closed down. And then they all came together and they reopened it. It's still there. And my mom was part of it. And I sometimes got a job in the cinema. It's a tiny, like one of those little tube theaters. It's basically just one room. Yeah. It's fantastic. I just loved it. Jonas, do you have a favorite cinema in Denmark or anywhere in the world? I do. It's mostly because it's very convenient because it's the cinema just next door. It's called Empire here in my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. It's a nice cinema. It's a really nice cinema. And I go there a lot. Sometimes, even when it's just tucked in the kids, and I can see, okay, but there's a screening at 10, and then I just run over and watch a film. And I do that a lot. I really enjoy it. It's a small cinema, but they have, they, they have pretty good taste and really nice screens. So yeah, definitely that that, that cinema is, is my go-to cinema. And But I don't know, in the world, I don't know. <laughs> a screen flea in the, in the Castro in San Francisco, which was quite an amazing experience. That's cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, any movies that you would like, if you had to pick one movie from the history of movies that you could screen, what would that be? Oh my god! <laughs> I'm so glad that I gave you the question. <laughs> I'll be like, "What?" You have one minute to think of yours. So. I know. Yeah. It's going to be such a great answer. <laughs> if it was like for the big screen, I would like to watch something grand. It, it could be, I actually saw the Once Upon a Time in the West that had the 70 millimeter copy. I saw that oh, yeah. like 10 years ago uh, and that was really amazing. But uh, yeah, it could also be Blade Runner or Apocalypse Now, one of those kind of big films you kind of... Massive, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I think I, I would love to see Once Upon a Time in America in, in his version. Apparently, there was an added 15 or 10 minutes that Scorsese had restored and it was screened in, at the Cannes Festival a couple of years ago, but I've never, I don't know if, it's, if it ever came out. Mm. And at the same time, I've watched the movie so many times when I was young, and maybe I'll just be disappointed now. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. I think for me, the my favorite cinema would be I, just because it's, you know, in Copenhagen, if you had to screen one movie, I would go to, it's called Imperial, which is just a massive screen and a massive, it's just big. It's the biggest in Northern Europe, I think. Yeah. It's a good one. But do you remember Klapsa? Or were, were, oh, yeah. Was that around when you were young? Yeah. I saw, I saw a lot of movies there. I saw all the Jim Jarmusch movies, the Mike Lees. I mean, I, I love his movies, Ken Loach's movies. Those screens were so small that now they're like, it's like an average television size now. I mean, the yeah. club closed, yeah, I don't even remember. It's like every screen had like eight or 10, no, four rows, I think, five rows. It was so small, but it had something. I just loved it. Thank you for doing this, Nikolai. Well, thank you for doing this. Yeah. This was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Biffa podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and make sure you get our next episode straight away. If this is your first time listening, take a look back in our feed for any episodes you might have missed. We've recently had Riz Ahmed, who is actually also an executive producer on Flea, and director Jan Demange talking about their lives through cinema, as well as Reggie Eight and casting director Shaheen Bey too. Subscribe now and you won't miss any more. Thanks for listening. The Biffa Podcast is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. It's hosted by me, Jake Cunningham, and I'm one of the producers as well, along with Harold McShiel and Ellie Aitken. The show's edited by Content is Queen.